classes. I always get a lot of comments on that. Like this? Okay. <laughs> Law and friends, I am Jeffrey Meldon, founder and attorney at Meldon Law, and welcome to a great show today. Uh, we've got our uh, guest, Jonathan Miat, who's the director and professor at the Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo in Gainesville, Florida. Uh, I can't wait to uh, talk with uh, Jonathan. It's going to be a really exciting show. A uh, couple things I want to go over uh, before we get started with the show is uh, what's going on in uh, north central Florida. Uh, last night, wow, the uh, Performing Arts Theater presented uh, famed violinist Itzhak Perlman, uh, and what a show, packed house, uh, and it was uh, an amazing performance, and I, I want to give a shout out to uh, the Performing Arts Theater, the Phillips Performing Arts Theater, for really doing a good job of bringing uh, in some uh, incredible talent for all of us to uh, uh, share and observe. Uh, other things going on uh, are the um, events uh, over at the uh, baseball stadium. Wow. Um, baseball season and softball season are in high gear. Our uh, men's baseball team uh, took it to uh, Miami, a very, very solid Miami team got uh, beat. Uh, the Gators averaged over 10 runs per game in this three-game series and uh, took the series uh, two to one. So uh, go Gators, uh, really exciting. Uh, Thursday, uh, March 9th, the Gator Bass men's basketball team is playing Mississippi State in the SEC tournament at 1 p.m. It's on the SEC network, so check it out for you basketball fans. Uh, we beat Mississippi State the last time we played them uh, in the regular season, and we hope to uh, continue the uh, uh, win again. And if we beat Mississippi State, uh, we have to uh, face uh, probably the number one, two, or three team in the country in Alabama. Uh, so uh, let's take uh, one day at a time and see how we go. Uh, big baseball series coming up uh, this weekend, March 10th through 12th against Siena. Softball is hope, ho hosting a great tournament, the Bubbly Invitational, uh, March 10th, 11th, 12th in Gainesville. Uh, and Gator Gymnastics, man, so the Gator Gymnastic team, which uh, had a three-peat back in 2013, 14, and 15, 
They won the national championship three years in a row and have been right on the cusp of winning again. Uh, are uh, competing uh, this Sunday, March 12th, uh, against Texas Women's University, University of Washington, and North Carolina State University uh, on the road. And uh, the SEC Gymnastics Tournament is starting on March 18th. The uh, Gators are the odds-on favorite, although uh, Auburn and Alabama are fielding really top-notch teams, as are uh, Kentucky and several other uh, uh, SEC teams. So uh, for those of you that like gymnastics, we've got uh, world-class Olympians on our team. And uh, it looks to me like uh, it's going to be the Gators, Oklahoma and Michigan in the finals. So one of those three teams is going to win the national championship. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But it's a very uh, evenly balanced field. So, uh, by the way, uh, Meldon Law is giving away tickets. Just go to our Facebook page, Meldon Law, and you will see ticket giveaways for uh, baseball, softball, and whatever else is uh, going on uh uh, around North Central Florida, uh, some big events in Ocala are going on. Uh, check out what's uh, going on at the World Equestrian Center, uh, as well as the Riley Auditorium. Uh, terrific shows. So uh, we want to support uh, the arts, and uh, let's see what we can do to get some uh, great turnouts uh, for all of the uh, events going on. Uh, my guest today... Uh, Jonathan Miat is director of profess uh, director and professor at Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo in Gainesville. Uh, welcome to our show. How are you doing, uh, Jonathan? Great, Jeffrey. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you having me on. Well, good. So uh, anyhow, I got to tell you a story. You know, when I f first moved to Gainesville many, many years, I moved here in 1970, but I, I think within four or five years, after that, I went out to the Santa Fe Zoo for a tour. Oh, it does. Jeffrey, you must have been one of the uh, first uh, guests at the Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo. It, it actually started 1970 on the grounds of the old uh, Lincoln High School, which is now or Lincoln High School, which is now Lincoln Middle School. And then it moved to Santa Fe's campus on the Northwest campus and opened in about 1974. So uh, we were going to celebrate our 50th year in uh, 2020, but that got derailed a little bit. So we're going to celebrate our 53rd year this year with an alumni event and bring all of our, our graduates back. Oh, nice. I she was into animals, obviously, mm -hmm. and uh, <clears throat> and so I got to see the very beginnings of the Santa Fe Zoo. So uh, uh, I haven't been out there in decades. So uh, would you catch us up on what's going on at the Santa Fe uh, College Teaching Zoo? 
Absolutely. A couple things have probably changed since you visited. So I do want to invite you back <laughs> out to the zoo if you haven't been in a long time. But absolutely. So we're welcoming about 64,000 people a year on our zoo grounds. So we've grown quite a bit. We have 70 species and over 200 individual animals. And our species are just about everything you can think of that's a little bit smaller. So we do have primates. So we have some capuchin monkeys and some white-handed gibbons. We have, of course, we're in Gainesville, so we have alligators there. Uh, we have quite a few reptiles. We have venomous snakes for our guests to look at. Now, we have some really unique species that you may have never heard of before, tree kangaroos. So they are kangaroos, but they live exclusively in the tree. And we are one of only uh, 25 zoos in the United States that have tree kangaroos. We have hoofed animals. We have a couple species of cats. So really, we've got something for everybody. We want to invite everybody to come on out. Uh, we're not just for kids, but of course, kids love us and kids um, love to hang out and see what we have going on. We have a playground in the middle of the zoo. So we got a lot of things for you to experience. Your children have probably been to the zoo on a field trip at one point or another. We see over 20,000 school kids uh, from local schools. And, uh, and we welcome them all. We welcome them to learn and really enjoy the animals that are there. What are the hours uh, for the uh, zoo? We're open every single day of the week. So weekends, weekday, and we are open at 9 a.m. And we are uh, there until 3 p.m. You do not have to schedule a tour. So back when you came in, Jeffrey, every single person had to be on a scheduled tour. That's not the case anymore. You can come up, buy a ticket, and walk right in. Well, you know, that's very nice that you're open every day because uh, the animals don't take a day off either. Absolutely. Yeah, we're only closed three days a year to uh, the public, and those are holidays. It's Christmas, um, Thanksgiving, and Christmas Eve. And But otherwise, you're right. The, the animals are there. They need to be fed, and our, and our keepers need to take care of them on a daily basis. So absolutely, come on out. We're here to uh, – we are – absolutely part of the, the culture here in Gainesville, or part of the traditions here in Gainesville. Like I said, we've been here for uh, well over 50 years, so we will welcome you on grounds. Now, uh, the last time I was at the zoo, I, I found it uh, kind of open uh, compared to the big zoos I've been to that, you know, have lots of cages and stuff like that. Can you discuss uh, what the Santa Fe Zoo is compared to, well, I call them big city zoos? Absolutely. So, the first thing is we are accredited. So we're accredited by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, which is the gold standard for zoo accreditation within the country. So the same organization that has accredited Disney's Animal Kingdom, the Bronx Zoo, San Diego Zoo, any big zoo you can think of, they're accredited by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. They accredit us as well, which means we meet those very high standards. But as you say, we like to do things a little bit differently, and we like to have uh, very accessible habitats for our animals. We want you to be able to get pretty close to the animals and um, see them, get a really good good view of them, but also feel like you are really connecting to them. And so that's what we try to do. We don't have humongous animals. So we don't have lions and tigers and bears, oh my, because the zookeepers in our zoo are students. They're just learning how to be zookeepers. And so we want to have animals that they can learn with but if they make a mistake with, it's not going to be their last mistake ever. So the zoo actually fills two roles, and we are the only one of our kind in the entire country. So we're the only zoo in the country that trains zookeepers in a professional zookeeping program and is accredited by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. So we're getting right here in Gainesville. 
we've got an incredible resource for you guys. So all of our students, all the zookeepers you meet when you go to the zoo, they're zookeepers and they're students at the same time. They're there for about two years. Uh, they spend two years with us and then they get an associate of science degree and then they move on to be a zookeeper in all those big zoos that we just talked about. San Diego, Disney employs quite a bit of our zookeepers. Jacksonville Zoo, Brevard Zoo, Miami, all the big zoos and aquariums around the country, they are employing our zookeepers. So you mean there's nobody else that has a teaching zoo except here in uh, Gainesville, Florida? Not one with an accredited facility on grounds. So other places have. There are other teaching zoo programs, and I work with them quite a bit, but they're using somebody else's zoo. So that means they're constrained by what that uh, other zoo has or will allow them to do. Or they have a collection of animals that's not in an accredited facility. So again, the accredited facility means I have to meet thresholds for animal well-being. I have to meet thresholds for financial stability, for the professionalism of my staff, for safety, security. The list goes on and on. And so we meet all of those standards so we can be an accredited zoo and we can teach our students within an accredited zoo that is ours. So we get to decide mm -hmm what they do and don't do. And the big difference is they get the full experience because they are the zookeeper. I don't hire any zookeepers in my zoo. They're all students within the program. I do have professional staff of cur curators, educators, other professors, uh, social media experts, but I don't hire any zookeepers. How long have you been at teaching zoo? Uh, how long has the faci the facilities been there? Like I said, we opened as a teaching zoo. That was the pure mission of the of the zoo. Oh, so uh, okay. so 1970, we opened as a, the community zoo, but also as a teaching facility. The um, the two gentlemen that started the program, they went out and they surveyed zoos. They actually surveyed zoos and botanical gardens, and the original aim was to uh, train staff to work both as zookeepers, but also as botanists. Um, the, the gentleman who started the botany side of it, he left early on, so that part of the program did fall away, but the zookeeping um, side has stayed true. That's awesome. Um, Jonathan, we're going to take a quick break now, and when we come back, I want to um, talk about all of the uh, different issues that have been raised about zoos and whether or not the animals are being treated fairly and just get into the whole, uh, you know, zoo uh, uh, social debate, if if that's okay. Okay, yeah, that's we're we're going to be back in sixty seconds on Melden Law and Friends. Melden Law has been serving personal injury victims since 1971. In those days, Jeffrey Melden's presence as an attorney in the music scene dubbed him with the nickname the Hippie Attorney. And although times have changed, two things haven't. Our commitment to bettering our community by helping the injured. Albert, are you ready to go to the game? And our love for the Florida Gators. If you bleed orange and blue, Melden Law is the firm for you. Point. So uh, my last name is what Mio, are you doing? Silent T. Well, I'm joining so, like, the band, of course. And then since you spelled my name incorrectly on both my first and my last name. Florida Gators. I want to uh, help. J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N. We're litigators. Let's stick to helping people in the courtroom. Well, can we yep. still hang out and jam a little bit? At like Melvin Law, we won't back down. I was going down a one-way street and a girl that was driving her car T-boned me on my scooter. <clears throat> I ended up going for an MRI and discovering that I had two herniated discs. 
Coming to Cary allowed me to not have to worry about what doctor I was going to see or what physical therapist I had to go to. They say, these are the people we trust. You're going to have a great experience there. And I honestly did each time. Call Melden Law. Your consultation is absolutely free. I was driving behind a lady, and very suddenly she moved out of the way. There was a log laying in the road. And when I hit my brakes, I went on top of the log. I had 280 discs. I just haven't been the same mm-hmm. since. Jeffrey Melden fought for me all the way. Uh, yeah, I met him a couple really times. He was he, with there for um, me. Yeah, I met well, him just a few times. So I didn't make sure that my here. bills yep. was paid. It was never no whenever I called him and asked him for something. Call Melden Law right now. And I was in an accident. Someone ran a red light and hit me, and I was hurt. You don't know where to turn. Luckily, I called Jeffrey. These big insurance companies, they don't want you to win. Oh, yeah. They truly don't. But Jeffrey and his firm and the people that work here, they just really fight for you. You call the law offices of Jeffrey Meldon because you're going to need help, and they will help you. Call Meldon Law right now. Hey, Sammy, look who's there. Say hi. (laughs) Hey. You're going to get some good stuff. Yep. Again. Perfect. Melvin Law, Jeffrey speaking. Jeffrey! Oh, yeah. Somebody Somebody hit us. Hit us. Yeah, yeah. Here we go again. Welcome back to Melvin Law and Friends. I am Jeffrey Melvin. I am here with uh, Jonathan Mio, uh, the director and professor of the Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo in Gainesville, Florida. So, uh, Jonathan, before the break, uh, uh, we threw out the issue of, uh, you know, the ethics in zookeeping, if it were. Uh, Can you kind of frame the debate as far as what's gone on uh, in the zoo world as far as uh, what uh, what people consider, you know, humane, inhumane treatment, things like that? Right. So I would say, um, generally speaking, the debate uh, ranges between uh, the crux of the debate is, sh- should animals be in a managed situation? So should they be in, a, in the care of humans or should they be um, in the wild? And uh, the first thing I will tell you is, um, you know, a sort of a non-traditional zoo here a, a perspective is um, that animals it would be great if all animals were in the wild. If every single animal in the world was in the mm-hmm. wild, that would mean they would have their space, their normal space to roam. That would mean they would have all the resources they need. And that would mean they would be living a pretty um, well-off life. Uh, the reality mm-hmm. is because of what humans have done and are currently doing to the earth, there is very little wild left. So, to say animals should only be in the wild, anybody who would like to propose that, I would love to say, where does that exist? Where does the wild exist anymore? Because um, you take any ecosystem out there and uh, scientists have, have sampled every single ecosystem and have found plastics <clears throat> prolific within every single ecosystem. And as you imagine, plastics are not very healthy for animals and are also not healthy, healthy for humans, right? 
Um, what's more is, you know, you think about Africa and you think of the, the plains of Africa and these amazing migration routes where animals might have migrated for um, as long as anybody knows. Those migration routes don't exist anymore because they're cut off by fences that have been put up by humans. And so the wild is being more and more constrained. And so those places don't as much exist anymore. Now, what we try to do, our sole purpose is that when you visit us, you come to see these animals that we are caring for, that you connect to them and you appreciate them. And then the hope is once you connect and you appreciate them, you will try to do what you can to help protect and preserve them in the wild. That is our goal and that is our aim. And so I, I don't think we have to be mutually exclusive. So we, as a zoological facility, as an accredited zo zoological facility, we support conservation out in the world. We direct a portion of every single um, dollar that comes into our facility towards conservation directly in the wild because we believe in conserving the wild we believe in taking care of those places so right now when you you, you come up, come and visit us on the weekend you're going to get a token and that token is going to represent a portion of your entrance fee and you get to direct where that goes where we're going to send that money to support those animals in the wild so we're doing conservation work just by being there why do we have um the animals that we have again it's to connect you to them how do we manage them? We manage them with um, extremely high veterinary care, with extremely great nutrition. Uh, we have enrichment programs to stimulate their uh, physical and mental needs. And we are also not just, we just don't have animals in our zoo. So we have animals in our zoo that are part of a population of zoos in the United States. So there are about 241 accredited zoos. I talked about being AZA accredited, accredited by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. We are one of 241 facilities, zoos, aquariums, wildlife parks. And what we do is we are sharing animals with these other facilities. So when you see our family of white-handed gibbons, and you will, and you'll hear them, you can hear their calls for uh, three miles away, so you'll hear their their um, these amazing calls that they make as a family and as a pair. You will see all of their children in this habitat. Those children will go to other zoos and aquariums that need gibbons. What doesn't happen is when Dallas needs a gibbon, they don't say, well, I need a gibbon. I'm going to go to the Southeast Asia and I'm going to get one and bring one to my facility. No, we work within other zoos to... Um, share these animals together. And what we have, it's, it's called a managed population. It's called a, a species survival plan. And we manage all of gi the gibbons together. And they're really managed by computer dating. This is one of those fun facts that nobody knows. <laughs> it's actually a computer that decides which animals are best matched to each other based on genetics. And what we're doing is we're trying to preserve the highest level of genetics in the population as possible. So it's a very complicated field. People think like, oh, it's great. And you, you pet animals all day. And we don't, for the record, we don't sit there and pet animals all day. We got a lot of hard work, but we're managing these populations on a, on a scale throughout the entire country. The other thing we're trying to advocate for is that we are professionals that care for these animals. The, even the students that are in our program are professionals that care for the animals. We are well equipped to do this. We work with the University of Florida and their veterinary college. They are our veterinarians and they're the best veterinarians in the country because they have exotic animal experience. They're professional. They have exceptional equipment. 
So they help us care for our animals at a very high level. If Jeffrey, you had some of these animals in your, your home, as, you, as we were sort of talking about. Some people in the past have done that, and that's fine for certain species, but otherwise, it's gonna be really hard for you to get the same level of veterinary care. It's gonna be say, hard for you to get the same amount of uh, and quality food for your animals. I spend about a third of my budget every year on the food for these animals, and it's high quality food. We don't get cast off food. We, don't, um, we go to Publix to get some of our food. We also get delivery from bulk um, uh, feed places, but we're not going to Publix and getting the, the leftover food. That's not what we're feeding our animals. So again, a very high level of care for these animals that most people in their houses, um, they can only hope to do this for their dogs and cats at home. But if they were to have these exotic animals in their houses, it would not go well. They're also quite dangerous. We hear, hear a lot of people like, oh, I love monkeys. I would love to have a monkey. No, you don't. They have really big teeth. And they're really strong and they can hurt you. So the way to appreciate <laughs> these exotic animals is to come visit us. We're gonna sh I'd love to share you stories about Eddie the Gibbon. I'd love to share you the story. He's, he's in his 40s, he's about 45 years old, which is a very long life for a Gibbon. We have a um, ocelot, a female cat. She's a, a small-ish cat. And she is the oldest living female ocelot in the United States. And she's 26 years old. And people always ask me, well, how long do they live? Well, in the wild, they probably live to about eight years old or 10 years old. And then in a managed situation like a, a, a zoo facility, they, she probably, they live to about 18 or 20 years old. And yet here she is at 26 years old because she gets exceptional care that we can provide essentially around the clock if she were to need that. So, um, so again, what we do is we're going to take exceptional care of the animals that we have throughout their entire lives, from birth all the way to the end. Just because an animal is older doesn't mean anything's going to happen to that animal. We are taking geriatric care of these animals, and we're doing a really great job. We're changing their habitats to incorporate their special needs. We're giving them different foods to incorporate their special needs, um, and we're going to do it all. We do get some animals from the wild. The animals we get from the wild are usually considered non-releasable native animals. So the, the um, federal, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, federal government called us up and said, we have a key deer in the Florida Keys that was rejected by its mom. And we are hand rearing it. And we want you to take this key deer because once it's been, once he has been um, bottle fed, we can't release him back into the wild because he would be a hazard to himself and other people because male deer, when they come into rut and they, 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 um, they grow their antlers, they can be very aggressive anyways. But if they've been raised by humans and they see themselves as humans or they associate with humans, they're even more likely to be aggressive. So they called us and they asked us to take this key deer. There's only one other facility in the United States that has key deer and that's, um, Zoo Tampa, that down in Lowry, uh, used to be Lowry Park Zoo. We're the only other ones. So um, again, they understand the value that we bring and the high quality of care that we bring. We have conservation programs all over the place that we're working with, working with endangered beach mice that are native to Florida. We have a population of them so that we can breed them and um, we can release them back into the wild. We can keep them, keep a population in our facility just in case there's some emergency with that population. We have uh, kept 
the most endangered bird in the United States at our facility. So we've kept this bird. What, what kind of bird is it? It's called an eastern grasshopper sparrow. It's a very small sparrow, very unassuming, amazing songs, amazing voice. Um, but we've kept them because we're part of the rehabilitation and release process. Their habitat was destroyed. Their habitat was taken over by humans. They, there's been some uh, very generous donors who have given back some of the lands. And so now we're trying to help repropagate those, that species onto that land. Why does that matter? Because every species matter because every species plays a role in the larger ecosystem. It's like we've all played that game. Act the blocks on top of each other and you pull out blocks and you put them up top. At one point, you're going to pull a block and it's all going to come falling down. The block is, is, is species within the ecosystem and, and the top, the, the block, it's going, to be, it's going to come coming down if we take too many out. Yeah, you know, um, I think that's a, a very important perspective because uh, people don't realize the the way that uh, you know the the universe was put together. Uh, that it, 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 there, there's kind of a, an incredible design, and uh, as human beings, you know, we come in and we disrupt the design, and it. At any one moment, it's hard to understand what the consequence of that is. Uh, however, for the last 150 years, I think we've been pretty active in uh, disrupting nature's uh, natural order. Absolutely, I absolutely agree with you. And we can, we are, like you said, there's there's a there's a design. We can live within this design. We have lived within this design before. We can also make progress and still live within this design. There's nothing saying that we can't progress, we can't do the things that we want to do, but also live within this entire structure. It is absolutely possible. And that's all we want to do. We want to talk to you about, you know, what do you get out of nature? Do you enjoy being out in nature? Do you love hearing birds? Do you love walking through the woods? Do you like to go to Millhopper? Are you going out to Cedar Key? We're, we have amazing natural resources around us. You go to the springs. You should be outside enjoying this stuff. You should be outside enjoying nature. And we can help connect you to that. Here's, here's my, um, the saddest fact that I'm going to share with you today, and it relates to humans and it relates to children. I have three children at home. I have a, I have a nine-year-old, a six-year-old, a two-year-old. Children now currently spend 45 minutes a week out in nature. Every week, 45 minutes, that is it. And that is a horrific statistic to be sharing. And I want you, I, I, you told me you had great kids and I know if you, if you knew that about your grandkids, you probably wouldn't be feeling you know, so great. So we are a resource. The zoo is a resource to get you out into nature. We are nature. We have nature around us. I had a fantastic photographer come on grounds to look at and shoot our animals, but he also shot a bunch of the natural, the native birds that were on grounds and the native insects that are on grounds. We are a natural resource for all of you to experience. But come on grounds, you're going to walk through our aviary. We got a, we got a Florida uh, native aviary. You're going to walk through, you're going to see spoonbills there. You're going to see, see ibis there. The point is see these birds within our habitat, but then go outside and go try to find them in the wild. We have whistling ducks. We have wood ducks. 
Go see these animals in the wild. Go spend more time out in the wild. And when you do and you realize how much you really love the wild and how much it feeds your soul, then you're going to be much better off as a person. There is data to suggest that we could actually be on less medications for certain conditions if we spent more time out in the wild, refreshing ourselves and renewing ourselves in the wild. And this is the value that we can provide to our community here in Gainesville and to anybody all over the country. We do have visitors from all over the country who come visit us. But we want to connect you to nature. We want to connect you to the wildlife and the ecosystems that are around us and help you see your part in that. You know, it's, it's, we're, we're in a very incredible part of the world here. I mean, we can go out on Payne's Prairie and take some of those walks, right? And yep. it's just amazing in there. Um, it's very accessible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, and, and as you said, and it, that's the reason why my wife and I moved down here. We moved down before we had kids. And I, I moved down to, to take the job. I was... Um, my, my previous experiences, I have a experience as a zookeeper all over the country. I started in Boston, Massachusetts at Zoo New England. I went to Bush Gardens in Tampa, Florida, at, at Atlanta Zoo in, in Atlanta, Georgia, and then um, Chicago's Lincoln Park Zoo. And then I came here to be the professor. I moved down in 2009. One of the reasons we came here, not just for the job, but because of everything around here, all of the natural resources around, all of the different opportunities around the state parks. Florida state parks are incredible. If you haven't been to a state park, please go. You're you are you're missing out. And we've got a lot of organizations around us that are doing great work. There's a lot of researchers at UF that are doing great work with conservation work and natural resource allocation. And so again, you you are very lucky to be living in this town, not just because of the Gators, not just because of UF and and the incredible sports culture that we have here and the incredible intellectual facilities we have here, but because of all the natural resources around as well. Yeah, I've always really appreciated it. And, uh, you know, it's like it's easy sometimes to um, keep confined. <laughs> and uh, what you're doing at the zoo opens up opportunities. I remember... I grew up in Cleveland, so I used to go to the Cleveland Zoo, and it was my favorite um, time of the year. You know, we, we, I, I think we would go there at least once a year with, uh, from school, and my mom and dad would mm -hmm. take us down there sometime, and I never got um, tired of going to the zoo. Yeah, and, and again, there's, there's always things to see. There's always new experiences. Uh, and Cleveland Zoo is a, a fantastic zoo. I have uh, my friend is the director there, and it's an incredible experience. And, and again, you're going to go and you're going to learn new things every single time you go. You're going to connect with the animals there every single time you, you go. There are zoo professionals that will answer any question you could possibly have about a, the animals in front of you or the ecosystems, the facilities. And if they can't, they're going to direct you to, to somebody who can answer that question. It's the same way at our zoo. It's the same way with our zookeepers. They, they are very knowledgeable about their animals, but they got to tell you about a connection. They got to tell you how they connect personally to these animals. You know, I get a lot of people that, you know, oh, you have snakes and that, whoa, I can't believe you have snakes. We, like I said, we have venomous snakes that the students are going to work with. They're actually working with animals that can envenomate them. They always have a staff member next to them when they're doing that, so it's always safe. But we have these animals, so you can see these animals and appreciate them, not to be scared of them, not to be angry at them, not to, you know, tell us about how much you don't like them, but maybe <laughs> learn a little bit. Maybe learn a little bit more about them. They are hey, incredible. You know, maybe, you, ask, 
Yeah, and Jonathan, they didn't ask to be venomous when they were born, right? Exactly, right? <laughs> and, and, and people tell me, like, I hate snakes. Then you must love rats. You have to love rats if you hate snakes, because guess what snakes do? They eat the rats. And the rats are absolutely good, and they do. The data is clear. Rats do more, have greater impact on our lives as humans than snakes do. You know, they eat more food, they destroy more crops, they bring, you know, like all of the stuff. So <laughs> snakes are there for you to help you out, you know? Um, so that's what I challenge everybody to do. Come and learn. Come come out there and learn. We'll, we'll, we'll talk to you about our animals. We'll show you our animals. We'll connect you to them. We have Galapagos tortoises at our facility. You can take a tour, especially behind the scenes tour. You can meet our Galapagos tortoises, the largest uh, land tortoise in the world. And I guarantee you when you leave that encounter, you will know that tortoises have personalities and you will have been able to see and experience their personalities. And that's, that's what I personally love about animals and uh, being part of this facility and, and, and all of these facilities. You connect to animals and you have experiences that you just can't have anyplace else. Because I've gotten the question before. It's like, well, John, we, we have, you know, I have a 70 inch TV in my house and it's, you know, it's flat. It, it has an incredible picture and sound. And why don't I just watch videos of animals? It's like you can, and you can learn a lot and you have some incredible shots from that. You've never connected to a video of an animal the way you can connect here. You come and you see our otters playing in their pool and their, they're playing their water fountains that are going down slide. The zookeepers built them a slide because they wanted them to have fun. And when you see them playing on it, you see them on the raft the other day I was there, they have this um, plastic raft and the two siblings were playing uh, king of the raft and pushing each other off. It's, it's an incredible experience to have with them. And you can have that too if you come out to the zoo. You know, um, you were mentioning uh, earlier about going to Publix. Um, at our home, uh, my wife, Patricia, uh, cooks fresh food for our animals. Now, she prefers Aldi's. She says that Aldi's, she gets really good prices. But um, the biggest dilemma I have when I come home is that there's food cooking um, in the kitchen. And I don't know if it's dog food or my food. However, <laughs> I've eaten my dog's food many times, and it's very good food. Right. And, and that's so, you know, Patricia may have a spot with us, I think. It sounds like she's got it. She's, she can spend some time with us because that's exactly what we're doing. We have these plates of these heaping vegetables that just look incredible. And, and again, it's, it is because we are giving our animals the best of the best. You know, we are doing the best of the best for them. They have veterinary treatment. They have veterinary care. They... They go to the doctor more often than I do, you know, <laughs> not because they're sick, but because they have wellness exams, you know, which I should have more of, you know. And and so, again, that's what we're doing is we're we're taking the best care of them possible. We are introducing them to you and all of your viewers, all of your listeners and everybody here in the community and connecting you to them. And then we're also helping facilitate the care of these animals in the wild in their wild places we are we are saving and helping save their wild places we have on grounds what was once considered an extinct species we have a guam rail on ground we have mel multiple guam rails on grounds but we have it's a it's a uh, flightless bird small flightless bird maybe eight inches ten inches tall 
very unassuming. When the sun um, hits their feathers, they're practically iridescent. They have this glow about them. But this species was once, uh, they lived on the island of Guam. Tree snakes were introduced to the island of Guam. It's a ground snake, a ground bird. They ate the, the, the ground snake ate the ground bird and also ate the bird's eggs. So the Guam rail was being wiped out. So the government went on, took a bunch of the species off, a bunch of the individuals off. They brought them into the U.S. They set up breeding facilities within the U.S. We weren't one of the originals, but we jumped on later on, and we have bred this bird successfully. We have helped, uh, we have, with the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, helped send them back to neighboring islands at uh, around Guam, and they're no longer considered extinct. They were considered extinct off the island of Guam, and they're no longer considered extinct because they are ha uh, successfully on neighboring islands. They aren't on Guam yet because they're trying to still get rid of these snakes, but this is a success story that we as zoos have done, and we personally, the Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo, has done. This is in your town. This is in your hometown. And that's what's happening here. So I just, it's one of the things I love about Gainesville. There's all these success stories and all these amazing things going on that a lot of people have no idea are going on right underneath, uh, you know, right underneath them and right around them. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you something. Um, there's um, no substitute for uh, a child being able to go to a zoo and see what an animal looks like. Uh, you can watch all the, you know, my um, grandson, Noah, he's an expert on dinosaurs. From the time he was like two years old, he loved dinosaurs, you know, and he, he could tell you, you know, every species, uh, every name of, of the dinosaurs uh, and other animals as well. My grandchildren are fascinated by and uh, my daughter takes them, you know, they live down in South Florida and they go to a lot of the uh, uh, zoos uh, down there. And they get so excited. And I think that's what I hear you saying is, is that it's absolutely critical for human beings to have some real-life interaction with animals in a, in a, a safe, constructive way. Absolutely. I, I think it's, it's what makes the difference. You know, it, it's sort of like um, you were speaking about it earlier. You're talking about the wonderful arts that we have in town here. Again, we have a great sports scene. We have a great art scene as well. And arts speak to your soul. You know, if you've, if you've attended a play or a theater production or a concert, you know that it speaks to your soul. It's the same, I feel like, the connection to animals. It just speaks. It's something within us. It's something that drives us. You know, why do you have this dog in your house that your wife cooks food for? Why do you have this species in your house that you provide shelter for? You provide, you know, a bed, all this stuff. And again, you can say, well, protection or whatever. Like, no, it's because we love animals. We as human beings love animals. This is why domesticated animals exist. There are a lot of theories about why the dog was uh, domesticated. We can talk about these, but like, there's some interesting theories out there that some of the original domestication occurred because of companionship, because of that inherent connection between animals and humans. It still exists. You still are connected with animals. And we are, you know, we're always looking for more and more as human beings. And that's what you get at the zoo. You can get these connections to exotic animals at the zoo. And you don't have to own them. And you don't have to take care of them. You don't have to keep them. You don't have to clean up after them. We'll do all that stuff. All you got to do is can, come in, connect with them, and, and love them and appreciate them. 
Yeah, have you ever heard the the idea that we domesticated animals in part because uh, they provided warmth at night when you'd sleep next to them? There's there like I said, there's lots of different theories which no one really knows about. A lot of them are hunting based, but warmth, companionship, protection. There's lots of it, and of course, you know, there's a lot of discussion about there out there about you know certainly uh, it appears that we have successfully domesticated the dog. But if you have a cat in your house, you know that the cat has successfully domesticated you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a flip situation there. Oh, it's a flip uh, situation. You, your cat needs you far less than you need your cat. No question. So anyhow, and I want to put a plug out there for those of you that buy canned dog food and stuff like that. Uh, we found that it, it costs the same or less to go and buy um, fresh food meat, food, vegetables for your dog, and feed them, uh, you know, really, you know, you throw throw some uh, chopped meat into the uh, uh, frying pan and uh, make a nice meal for your dog, and it's amazing. We, uh, you know, our 14-year-old uh, Charlie is uh, still going, and uh, he loves the uh, cooked food. He, he really thinks it's uh, special, so... Uh, yep. There's all kind of fun things. We're getting ready to wrap up now, uh, Jonathan. So uh, let's uh, give a call to action to everybody about the Santa Fe uh, uh, College Teaching Zoo and uh, how, how to get there and uh, what, to, uh, what, to, what you're going to experience when you get there. Yeah, absolutely. So we are on the grounds of Santa Fe College, but if you just Google Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo, it'll bring you directly to the zoo. Don't put in the college's address because you'll end up at the administration building. They're fabulous people up there, but they're not <laughs> going to be able to tour you around. Uh, you're going to come to the zoo. We're open every single day of the week, weekends, weekdays. We're open at nine. We we are there till three o'clock. Um, are really... Uh, uh, attainable admission fee and some of your admission goes to directly into the wild to help conservation um, it's eight dollars for adults five dollars for kids is a ton of discounts so just ask about discounts for first responders police um, uf just ask us about any discounts um, you're going to see 70 species 200 individual animals it's it's um shaded right now is a beautiful time to be outside anywhere in gainesville but in a couple months, you're going to be hot and complaining about it. The place to go is the zoo because it's a lot cooler there in the zoo. You're going to go in with animals. You're going to go in with our birds. You're going to see our bald eagle. Uh, you're going to see our key deer, alligators, of course. You're going to have a great time. You're going to connect with your family. You're going to have a great experience with your family. So uh, come on out. We have special events as well. We're going to be at the Spring Arts uh, Festival on Santa Fe's campus. We have a party for the planet for um, Earth Day. We just started last year a brew at the zoo for those of you who might like to imbibe. Um, and we're going to do one again this year in June. In June. Uh, we'll have music and uh, local breweries. It'll be a blast. We got, we got something for everybody of every age. We have um, camps. We have Zookeeper for a day for ki your kids. I don't have enough time to talk about everything we have. So go to our website. Come visit us. I'd love to see you. Well, thank you very much, Jonathan Mio, the director and professor of the Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo in Gainesville, Florida. It's great to be uh, to have you as our guest, and I promise you that uh, I'm going to come out and visit you at the zoo. Can't wait to see you. Thanks, Jeffrey. I appreciate you having us on. Okay, see you later, and that's Bye. a wrap. <laughs>